We've been in this theme, 2019, as early as it is, of becoming a people who. And we've actually been in a sub-series we've entitled Live for a Change, where we have been examining the book of, of Ephesians. Ephesians is Paul's pastoral letter to the church at Ephesus that he began himself. Three weeks ago, we began with the message that we entitled Live for a Change in Him. Two weeks ago, Live for a Change Alive and Reconciled. Last week, Pastor Kelly Womack brought a powerful message entitled Live for a Change, the Mystery, the Mission, the Motivation. And today, we're actually going to come to the end of our study of the book of Ephesians. And we realize we're not at the end of the book, but we said from the onset we were going to just go to chapter 4. And I pray that you will continue to dive in. Feel free if you want to continue to go on that journey, do so. But this morning, as our final message in this little mini-series, if you will, our message title is Live for a Change in Unity. Live for a Change in Unity. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to meet me at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. We'll be going from verse 1 to verse 16 this morning. But we'll start with verse 1, and we will pull verse 1 out and examine it for just a few minutes to get started. Paul begins the second half of Ephesians by pointing backward to what was said in chapters 1 and 3, and at the same time, pointing forward to what he's about to say in chapters 4 and 6. Now remember, he's writing to a church that he started, some speculate, 10 years prior to this. A church that was in a metropolis area, a port city, a church full of people who did not know about the one true God. These people had 50 gods, and they were used to doing pagan worship. And these are the people that he's talking to. Now, you can see this this pointing backward and forward more clearly in some of your translations. Anybody have a translation that verse 1 starts or has near the front the word therefore? Raise your hand if you do. Anybody see that? Therefore? Okay. We have, as a prisoner of the Lord then, some of you have therefore. You might be able to see it a little clearer when it says therefore. Because all of you I know are astute Bible scholars and you know one of the first rules of Bible study. Anytime you see the word therefore, you need to figure out what it's there for. And so in this case, in this case, this is one of Paul's favorite stylistic features where he causes us or, or, or leads us to reflect back on what we have heard in order to have a basis to understand of what is about to be said. In this particular situation, he has been talking about in chapters 1 through 3, the riches in Christ Jesus that we have and the riches that we have in us, the, the strength that has been stirred up in our innermost being. And he's saying to us that because of that, we the church, we the church, because of those things that were done then, we the church have a duty to, or, or, or maybe not even a duty, we have a compulsion to live out our responsibility to Christ. Before we move further, there's one word that I want to draw attention to, and that's the word worthy. Worthy. That word in the original language is axios, which we get the word axiom from. It means to bring up other, bring up other beams of the scale. You can imagine a scale. Bring it into equilibrium, making it equivalent. So what are you saying, Derek? I'm saying that what Paul started in this very first verse, he's saying to you, I urge you to live a life, live a life, or some of your, some of your virgins say, walk, walk in a way 
live a life worthy, equal to, up at the same level as the calling that you have received. That's what he starts out with. And then he doesn't leave us hanging long. He goes quickly to telling us how we should live our lives. Look at verses 2 and 3. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the peace through the bond, I'm sorry, keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Now that's just two verses, but Paul, as he always does, pack a lot in just those two verses. First thing I want to point out is he says, keep, make every effort to keep the unity. As I was looking at this and studying for this message, I, I, I kept looking at that. I said, it's something about that. I don't doubt it. It's in the word. I believe it's true. But there's something about that. Keep. Keep the unity. And then I remembered. It was some time ago. I was in a group setting with a bunch of pastors and leaders, and we were talking about unity um, in the church. All right? Because we talk, when I say live for a change in unity, I'm talking about amongst the body of Christ. I'm not talking about out there in the world, because that's a whole nother ball game out there. All right? We're talking about getting it straight in here so that we can impact out there. Y'all with me on that? But, but what disturbed me about it, what kind of confused me, I remember being in a setting with a, and, and somebody stood up and said, you know, the reason why it's probably impossible for us to ever bring unity in the church is because we never had it in the first place. And I remember when he said it, something about that just didn't set well with me. Anytime you, you ever heard anybody say something and you didn't know exactly why, but something down in your spirit just says, there's something awful about that. God revealed it to me as I was looking at this because Paul wrote, make every effort to keep the unity. Or, or in some of your translation, it says preserve the unity. In order to keep something or preserve something, there had to be something there at some point in the past. You understand what I'm saying? So, so that, that was the shift for me. And I realized, man, when that person spoke, he didn't say, uh, everything, he had good intentions. But what he was saying was not the truth. Because what he was trying to imply is because I'm different than you and you might be different than me, we could never be united because somewhere we never were united in the first place. But we're going to see in a minute to where Paul points directly to where we can trace it to where we did have unity at one time. So we are to keep the unity or preserve the unity. But let's look at these words that he used. He uses five words in these two verses that are the key to unity. Any husbands and wives in the room? Can I see you? Where are you? I know some of y'all married and you raise your hand. What's the problem? Okay. All right. Any families, any, 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 any children and parents in the room? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay, good. Not only is this going to apply to the church, but I tell you, you can take this. This is portable. You can take this home with you, and it can help you in your own household. These five words, what are these five words? Five great basic words of the Christian faith. If you're going to have unity, you must first have humility. Humility. Humility means lowness of mind. Now, I'm not talking about somebody that just doesn't think or just thinks lower of themselves. I'm talking about somebody who thinks properly of themselves. I'm talking about somebody who does not have an inflated ego. And, and now, as Paul was talking, writing these words, I imagine the people that were receiving this letter, as they read this, 
you know, they, they, they were confused. Because in the ancient world, especially the Greco-Roman world, they didn't think much of humility. And you know what? We live in a time when folks out here in the world, they don't think much of it either. Humility is almost a lost concept. But you know why Paul could speak of it and speak of it so boldly? Because Paul himself was at one time when he was called Saul, a man that I believe that we can agree upon, didn't know a whole lot about humility. But he had an encounter with a man named Jesus. And that changed his life. And he learned about how Jesus modeled this when he gave up his prerogatives and humbled himself even to death on the cross. You see, humility means you would give up your rights for the betterments, for the betterment of the program. So what does that got to do with marriage, Derek? How can I apply this in my family? I can tell you what. I can tell you how. See, if we're willing to give up our prerogatives, we can create a whole new environment when the husband doesn't have to be, have to win all the time or when the wife doesn't have to be right. Now, I'm not talking about things that it's about sinful things. I'm talking about just everyday, ordinary conversations. See, if we can get to the point where I don't have to win or, or, or I don't have to be right in every situation, we can create a new environment. Don't worry, if that doesn't fit you, I got some more words for you. <laughs> Let's try gentleness on for size. Let's try this on. That's another word he uses. Some of your translation says meekness. Don't get that confused with weakness now. Because we're talking about strength under control. It's like, it's like a wild stallion that, that a trainer brings in. You know, you can imagine this, this massive, strong animal that can run and jump and is stronger than a human man. But what does the trainer do? Gets on his back and begins to train that horse. And he might get thrown off the first time, the second time, but a good trainer will stay with it. And somewhere down the line, this horse will begin to submit to the control of someone else. And before you know it, this same strong animal that has the capacity to kick and crush this man's chest will respond when the man just say, giddy up, giddy up. What's that sound? There you go. Do it one more time. Yeah, yeah. Whoa, whoa. That's, That's the picture I want us to have in our mind of meekness. It's not weakness. It's not weakness at all. That's meekness. You know, in order to have unity, not only in the church, but in our home, some of us need to give up control to another. And I'm talking about the one who has ultimate control. To the point that when God says, whoa, we stop. When he says, we move. When he says, giddy up, we go. That's meekness. That's gentleness. But then he, he, he's not finished. He uses a word called patience. I know. Don't, you know, don't be careful. Don't pray for, pray for patience. I'm beginning to rethink that thing. Yeah, it might be a rough little season for you, but it sure gets better on the other side of it if you go through it. Some of us been taught to avoid it at all costs. Don't pray for that. But he says it in here. Be patient. 
not short-tempered, but long-tempered. You know, you know, let me see if I can make it real for you. Patience, tolerating people who are not like you. And guess what? That's everybody you know. <laughs> you ever thought about that? I know some of them are so much unlike you, you think they're the ones, but everybody, everybody, there's nobody like you. There's not another you in this room. And so patience is tolerating people who are not like you. I, I go up to um, Jimmy and Pam Bone. Pam is our outreach coordinator, uh, director here. And uh, they have these two dogs. Now, I didn't grow up with dogs, so they always laugh at me when I come because the dogs can always feel, you know, they, you know, they say dogs can tell when somebody's not really comfortable and you no know, dogs come straight to me. I'm like, man, where y'all put these dogs up? <laughs> but they leave them out for their entertainment. And, and, but, but, um, but let me get to my point. There's two dogs. One, one, one of the dogs is named Dan. It's a big dog. I don't know what kind of dog it is. Told you I, I'm not, I didn't grow up around dogs. And, and the other one is Bruiser. Now, now Dan, I, I hope I'm not trying to exaggerate, but Dan probably stands about that tall. Bruiser, that little joker man, right here. And, and I'd be, be sitting there watching, you know, trying to avoid him, you know. And Bruiser just messes with Dan. Jump on Dan, scratching Dan all in the face. Dan's about three times bigger than Bruiser. And I was just sitting there thinking, Dan can just pick up his paw and crush his little head anytime he get ready. But you know what? Dan just plays with him, tolerates him. That's what we're talking about, patience. He uses another word, love. In the context of bearing, with what we're talking about having unity. We're talking about keeping unity. We're talking about preserving unity. Love. Bearing with one another love. The type of love that Paul was speaking about when he wrote this is so unusual, and it was so unusual to these people he was talking to that he was writing to. Because this is another one of those words that the pagan people, they didn't have in their vocabulary. He used an unusual Greek word called agape. This, the meaning of this type of love is, is unconquerable benevolence. Unconquerable benevolence. I'm going to be good to you no matter what you do. To get an example of this, we can look no further, we have to look no further than the cross itself. Because Jesus stayed on that cross when he had every, all authority to call the angels to get him down and destroy all those around him. But he stayed on. You know what kept him there? Love. Love? Yes. Love for you. And love for me. And love for all mankind. He stayed on that cross. That's the kind of love that Paul was talking about. Now these four great virtues of the Christian life. Humility, gentleness, patience, love. They all lead to a fifth one. That if we're going to have unity, we need, but you got to have the other four that points the way to this fifth one. You can't short-circuit it and try to get to the fifth one without working through the first four. Y'all get? Y'all with me there? And that fifth one is simply this. What is it, somebody? Peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Peace. What is that? 
I tell you what it is. We have peace when we have right relationships with him and with each other. When we have a right relationship with our God in heaven and when I have a right relationship with you and you have a right relationship with me, there's peace in the valley. Okay. So I remember earlier I said this whole thing about keeping unity. And I told you that the reason why Paul, I believe, used the word keep or preserve is because he understood clearly that it existed before. And I can show it to you here in the next two verses. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What you see here, what we have here, what Paul described to the church in Ephesus was really he described the Trinity. Because you see that? One spirit, one Lord, one God. The enemies, he hates unity. That's why he sows disunity. Because if he can sow disunity, you know what that does? If we have disunity in our lives, we are saying to God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, you are not welcome here. And that is why the enemy tries to always stir up disunity amongst us. And that is why it's so important that we, the church of Jesus Christ, must continuously always and forever work through all of these virtues so that we can have unity with one another. Now, I'm not talking about being the same. I'm talking about being united. There is a difference. That doesn't mean that I've got to look like you, be like you, think like you. But if we work through those four virtues that we said and come to peace, then we will give toward one another so that we can come on one accord because we all have, we are all one body, one body. Christ is the head and the church is the body. Think about it. Your head can't do any work if your body is split in, fa- in fragments. Thus, Christ cannot work the work, the things that he wants to work in our world, in our lives, if we are fragmented as a body. That's why unity is so important. One spirit. The word pneuma is used here. In the Greek, it means both spirit and breath. Unless the breath is in the body, the body, you know it, is dead. And the breath of the body of Christ is the Holy Spirit. That is why I love it every time I come in here with the saints. Because the Spirit resides in you and resides in me. And we can sense the Holy Spirit. It brings a unity in this place that we can't get any other kind of way. Our one hope. We have one hope. And that one hope is in our calling. That's what he writes. Because we are proceeding toward the same goal. We're proceeding to a goal of a world redeemed in Christ. Here in this local body, we even have a phrase for it. We exist to awaken ordinary people to extraordinary life in Christ-centered community. Because we are focused on that. And that is our goal. Some of the petty things, the differences we have can just fall away. Because we know what's before us and what God has called us to. One Lord, one Lord, the, the, 
You know, we have all kinds, you know, we have the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene, we have these creeds, but the closest thing that the church, early church had to a creed was what was written in Philippians 2, 11, Jesus Christ is Lord. And that is what we as people of God need, that's what we have in common, that is what we need to proclaim with one another, Jesus Christ is Lord. Will you say that with me? Jesus Christ is Lord. One faith, one baptism. Let me pause on baptism for a second. Paul writes this in here, and I think it's important for us. Baptism is, a, is that identification mark. We, oh man, wasn't it beautiful to celebrate with, this, with Caitlin this morning as she was baptized? Wasn't it, didn't it just warm your heart? You know why I believe? It's because we witnessed someone who stood before all these people and let us know, hey, I'm a member of the team. And that, I believe that brings joy to God. I believe that God just gets happy about that. And this is the thing I want to say to us. You know, when I joined the Army some, I don't know how many years ago now, long time ago, some of y'all might have had this experience. They took us to, we didn't just go right into the Army. They took us to this place called the MEP station. And we had to go in there and line up with some folks I didn't know, and you raise your right hand. And what did we do? We took an oath. And then they put us in this uniform, put a name tag on our chest so we wouldn't forget our names, and then we became property of the U.S. Army. We became identified as soldiers in the Army. Baptism identifies us as people of God, members of his church, people who have, are like-minded. I want to challenge you today. If you're sitting in this sanctuary today and you have never been baptized, and you've been wrestling with it, I would invite you to take one of those communications cards, fill it out. Either bring it up here to prayer at the end of the service or turn it into one of the, in the offering box at the end of the service. Hey, look, we're not going to bring you up and, and baptize you right here. We, we don't operate like that. What will happen is someone will get in touch with you. We'll sit down and have a conversation with you like we had with Caitlin this week. And then we will proceed with baptism. But I believe it's important that we identify ourselves, we stand up to be counted, to say, hey, I'm on the team. It's, it's good not only for the team, but it's good for us, for you individually. Then he ends this in the sixth verse. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And Paul, Paul was a writer, wasn't he? One God and Father of all. Father of all, it's an intimate statement. It's the love of God we see in that phrase, Father of all. Above all, or here we have over all. He's over all. That's the control of God. Nothing escapes him. He knows and is involved in everything, good and bad. There's not a time that things can happen or we can do that he is not aware of and still caring for us in the midst of it. Through all, that's the providence of God. The providence of God, no matter what happens, no matter what I go through, no matter what heartaches, no matter what high I go through, no matter how low it gets, he's there with me and he is working things out on my behalf 
if I would only allow him to. In all, that's the presence of God. Paul has been talking to this point about the qualities of the members of the church, but then he switches over in verses 7 through 10, and he begins to address their functions in the church. Listen to these, these verses. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, I'm going to pause there. Sorry to stop in the middle of the, of the reading, but it would appear to me that it would make sense if Paul went on and told us about that grace. But he does something like Paul does a lot in his writings. He takes an intentional side trip. And he says, this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captive and gave gifts to his people. Then he goes even deeper. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? Then he's not even finished. He says, he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Now, when I was a baby Christian, y'all know what baby Christians are, right? When I was a baby Christian, you know, I would read this and I would just say, okay, I'll skip over that part right there because that don't make any sense. Am I the only one that do that sometimes? Because I said, no, you need to pay attention to that. You need to dig into that. And let me share with you why. See, to make his point about Christ being the giver of gifts, Paul quotes Psalm 68, 18. But he quotes it with a very slight but significant difference. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Look at Psalm 68, 18. When you ascended on high, you took many captives. You received gifts from people. Now, it seems like that's what we just read, but there's a slight difference. See, the psalm, the psalmist was describing a king's conquering return. What he's describing here is a king who has led his army into battle. They have overcome this country or these people that were their foe, and now they are coming back to their city. And they are coming up on high at Mount Zion. And they have the prisoners that they've taken behind them, and they have the spoils of war behind them, and they're coming in to celebrate. And, and it says now that they received gifts from the people that they had taken in. Now, here's the difference. Psalm speaks about the conqueror receiving gifts. But Paul changes it, and he says they gave gifts, that he gives gifts. Now, what does that mean, Derek? What are you talking about? See, in the Old Testament, the conquering king demanded and received gifts from men. But what Paul is writing about here from the New Testament is there's a new king. It's King Jesus. And this conqueror, he doesn't take any gifts. He gives and offers gifts to all those people around him. So that's the difference here. And Paul goes on. You know, Paul gets started, and he just, he just, he just steamrolls. He got to go from there. He, he gets to talking about this word ascended. Why does he spend his time diving into the word ascended? He said Jesus descended into this world when he entered it as a man, and he ascended from the world to return to glory. Why does he, why does he spend time on this? Well, he points out that the one who descended is the same as the one who ascended. Why is that important? That means that the Christ of glory, the one who sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf, is the same Jesus who walked on earth. What difference does that make to you and me? Because, see, I know, what, I, I know, I know. Because sometimes when people sit up high like that, 
I got this thing in me that thinks they don't really care about me. They don't know nothing about me. They are, you know, you ever walk in a room with important people and you feel like they don't even see me in the room? Sometimes we can project that over on Christ because we know he's seated in heavenly places. But Paul made this point to let us know that it's the same Jesus and he still loves all mankind. He still seeks seeks the, the sinner. He still heals those that suffer. He still comforts all who sorrow. He is still a friend of those who are outcasts. Christ is still the lover of my soul. No matter that he's up high, he still loves me all the way to the core of my soul. And he loves you. Don't let anybody or anything ever separate you from the love of God. And then he wasn't finished. He had one more thought. He said he did not ascend up on how to leave the world. He ascended to fill the world with his presence. And what in the world does he mean by that? The very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Well, here we go. You see, the fact of the matter is this. That when he laid his body aside and returned to glory, he was not limited any longer by this human body. And he ascended into heaven. And now those limitations are gone. And he is able to be everywhere in all the world through his spirit. And this is why it's important to be a part of a local church. Because you, his spirit resides in you. His, his spirit resides in every person in this room. And yes, we come in here on Sunday morning. But when we leave, his spirit literally touches all of, around Columbus, Georgia, and all around the world because he is not limited by his physical body anymore. Y'all see that picture there? That's, that's, that's what he says. Okay, so let's get back to the gifts because in verses 11 through 13, he says, so Christ gave him, himself So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Okay, I'm not even going, I'm not, I'm going to go ahead and put it out here. I know you say, well, I'm not an apostle. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a pastor or teacher. So evidently I don't have anything to do. He gave every one of us a gift. Every one of us. If you're a child of God, you have a gift. And I know some of you sitting there looking at me and saying, well, you don't know me. I don't need to know you. Jesus knows you. And there's a gift in you. And you are to be a part of that group that is equipping the saints, mobilizing the saints, so that the work of the kingdom gets done. Let me, let, me, let me help you out. What is a spiritual gift? It's a divine enablement that serves other people in the family of God and brings glory to God. A divine enablement. There is something God gave you. You might say, oh, how do I know what it is? What are you passionate about? What kind of skills do you have? What kind of interests, what things hold your interest? These are keys to what might be your spiritual gift. But I'm going to tell you a secret on this. If you're not serving, it won't emerge. 
You can't wait until it's all crystal clear before you start. You need to start first. And as you start, the gift will start to emerge. You might say, I have a gift of preaching. You know when I found it out? When I started speaking in front of people. If I had waited until I was all ready, I don't know if I ever determined it. That was my gift. Some of you have gifts, gifts, gifts of discernment. You can just hear a situation and look at a situation and you can know. But are you using it? Are you using it for other people in the family of God? And are you using it in a way that brings glory to God? If you have trouble, if you're sitting there and you're saying, well, I, I, look, I'm hearing you and I want to believe it, but I can't figure that out. You know what? We have a group of people. You know what they do? They help people find their spiritual gifts. Next Sunday, 1 o'clock, right here at the church, a group called Gifted to Serve. Why don't, you, why don't you take a communication card and just check it out? Check. I want to go to Gifted to Serve. They will get in t- touch with you. Because this is the thing, folks. All of us have a gift. And in order for the church to be what God has called it to be, we all need to be exercising our gift in the context of the church. So it's, it's prime time for us to find out what that gift is. The results of all this, verses 14 and 15. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And Paul ends with still another picture. Verse 16. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. In a few hours, thousands of people are going to assemble at a place called Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia. I've heard over 70,000 people are going to be there for the kickoff at 6.30. There'll be 110 million people viewing it on television at some places all around the world. People are paying thousands of dollars to go see Super Bowl 52. And you know what? It's a, I'm, I'm going to watch it. I like it. I like the competition. But you know what happens during the Super Bowl or any game? A lot of time is spent with these players huddling up, going over plays that the coach has designed for them. And you know what? I don't believe anybody paid to go see men huddle up in a little circle. No, that's not what they went, they're going for. You know what they're going for? They're going when they break that hook and they line up and they run the play that the coach has given them. They want to see which athlete soars and makes the catch, which one runs and cuts and gets out in the open, which quarterback throws it with laser accuracy. That's what people are paying for. That's why people are interested. And beloved, right now at this time of the hour and the day, there are hundreds of huddles going around in this city and all over the world 
just like this. And I won't give you the billions of people on this earth. I'll give you just the hundreds of people that are right here that we have close contact with. And they're not interested in this huddle. They won't be impacted by this huddle. You know what's going to impact them? When we break this huddle and we go out, we take our places out here in the marketplace and we run the plays that our Lord Jesus Christ have given us to run. But my friend, you got to be a member of the team to be in the huddle to run the play. Now, I know what you're saying. Well, I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know enough. I'm not mature enough. It's the same thing at the Super Bowl. There are going to be a lot of players standing on the sidelines because they haven't grown enough yet. They haven't matured enough yet. But guess what? They're not going to grow and they're not going to mature outside of the team that they are a part of. So stay in here. Hang in here. Don't give up. Don't give out. Identify yourself. Let it be known that I'm a member of the team. And that's what we do. Because this is a fact, folks. You can't grow yourself up by yourself. Now you think about that. Take that home with you and, and just think on that. And if you can come up with a, with a way that you can, I want to hear from you. You cannot grow yourself up by yourself. You need fellow believers in order to help you mature and grow. You need the unity of the faith in order to be able to be in the huddle, to be able to execute the play that our Father has called. Those that's praying, please come forward. And I want to ask you now, as we close, just to look at these questions. Are you on the team? That's the salvation question right there. Are you on the team? I'm talking about the team of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. Are you on the team? Have you identified yourself? Have you let it be known? What are you holding on to? What are your hesitations to live in a more spirit-led life? What illusion of control are you clinging to? Do you know what your spiritual gift is? Or what your spiritual gifts are? You know what they are? Are you using them? And just so that we make sure we go down everybody's, into everybody's driveway, here go some more questions. Are you lacking in any of these areas? Humility, gentleness, patience, love, peace. I'm not talking about somebody else, I'm talking about you. Let's make sure we get that straight. These altars are open. These individuals here are here that might, if you just want to say, hey, I, this is what God is stirring in my heart. And they just simply pray with you. They're not here to try to fix you. They're just trying to help you get to the throne, get to Jesus. My prayer today, starting last night and early this morning, I pray that 
we will become such a united church that there will be a level of comfortability here that people will feel free to respond when the Holy Spirit stirs. I, I, I pray that with all my heart. I don't mind telling you. And I know sometimes you say, well, Derek, you just push too hard. You know, you just keep on with it. I, I'm going to tell you why. And, and pray for me on that because I, I don't want to be like that. I, I, if that offends you, well, I don't know if I want to say that or not. Um, I, I really don't want to be that way. But I'm going to tell you, I have, to be, I have to be honest with you. Sometimes I could, I could, I could, I could see this wall that goes up right when it's time when people really want to say yes, that, that's me I, I need help and I pray that that wall comes down and it's going to take unity for that to happen will you stand so I invite you to respond in whatever way the Holy Spirit leads if you need prayer, come to the front if you just need to come to the altars and pray on your own do that But let the Lord guide you and lead you in Jesus' name.